Welcome to Reader Seeks Romance Channel's Romance Roundup. I am Liz Donatelli. And I'm Libby Kay, author of the sweet romance series, Buckeye Falls. Libby and I are sharing our romance reading peeves, and we recommend books that turn our frowns upside down. Watch Romance Roundup on Reader Seeks Romance Channel and subscribe on YouTube. Listen to Romance Roundup on Podbean and all podcast apps. Libby, are you excited to try something new today? Yes, I am, Liz. <laughs> well, then, Libby, let the roundup begin. Okay, giddy up. Here we go. All right. So, and I have to say a disclaimer I'm not here to yuck on anyone's yum. These are just my personal thoughts on my first little pet peeve. And for me, my first pet peeve, and I don't think this will be a surprise, is all about the importance of pacing. For that, I'm talking about anything that takes you out of the story or slows it down and you feel like it's homework instead of reading an enjoyable romance book. Um, so, and again, not going to point out any examples of where I didn't like it, but I will say a couple things, um, you know, that turn a five, a potential five-star read for me into like a three. So, um, for me, the biggest thing with pacing is bogging down a story with unnecessary details. Mm. Um, this could be anything to descriptions on, you know, physically where they are. Like if they're in the country, great. Give me a sense of the country. But I don't need to know how many fireflies are flitting around in the field. I don't need to know, you know, that great uncle Herschel, you know, shot a deer there 50 years ago. Like anything that doesn't automatically help with the story, I just find incredibly just, ugh, it takes me out of the story. Um, pseudo recently, I read something and it was interesting because it dealt with um, a, a professional field that I do not have a lot of experience in. And so as a reader, I was excited to kind of get into, um, you know, the headspace of someone who has a career that's completely different than anything I've ever done. Um, but I felt in this particular instance with this author, it was just too granular. We knew everything from, you know, the name of, the assistant who brings in the coffees once a week to, you know, how they like to file their paperwork to, you know, who to call if this email doesn't get answered. And frankly, <laughs> as I was reading, it yeah. kind of felt like I was, I don't want to say anxiety because that's a little generous, but I was kind of getting like this weird adjacent anxiety listening to someone else's work day. Yes. And that kind of, as a reader, I'm reading to escape my own work day. You know what I mean? Like I, I just hate when there's that much, um, you know, work lingo talk that is doesn't have anything to do with the two couple with the two people getting together um right. I, I don't know what do you yeah. think about that am I probably being too unfair <laughs> no well I do believe I know the book you're speaking of yes you do <laughs> and you are a thousand percent if that level of detail is going into describing the main character's job then there should be payoff later on where all that information we learned somehow comes into play. Yes. If it's not, it doesn't serve the story and we don't need that type of secondhand work anxiety. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and I feel like in this case, and again, I've read other books like this that it's a workplace romance, which is great. I love that trope, but like I'm here for the romance, not the workplace. Like I want that, like the tension yeah. and I want to know why them dating in this workplace environment could be problematic, but I don't need to know about like, what was the thing in office space? Like the TPS reports. Yeah. You apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, 
I don't oh need to God. know about someone's TPS reports being late, you know, because it's not that yeah. helps the story move forward with Peter Gibbons, but it sure as heck isn't helping with, you know, a random hero or heroine in a romance book. Like, unless they don't, unless they fall in love because of that TPS report, I don't give a hoot. <laughs> right, right. And that's a great movie, by the way, one yes. of my favorites. I love that movie. Office Space. <laughs> that's a really good example. And I have a couple examples just with pacing that I liked, but one that um, just in general workplace romance and it's funny because I always am surprised when this is a polarizing answer, but The Hating Game by Sally Thorne is one of my favorite workplace romances. But I know so many people that hate it and it shocked me because that's like top tier for me. Like that's one of my favorite in recent memory yes. um, romances. So um, I felt like that was perfect because you knew the push and pull of what they had to do for the promotion. Right. You knew their opinions of the other competing um, publishing firm. I'm saying this wrong, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we knew enough to know who we were invested in and why we were invested, but we didn't know the little nitty gritty details that really just drug it down. It yeah. didn't do that. And that's that's one of my favorite workplace romance books probably. Yeah, I would agree. But just in general, besides the workplace romances, with pacing, it's avoiding that, and I always say soggy bottom, which makes you think of British Bake Off, but saggy yes. middle, because that's yes. what I'm talking about. And so I have a couple examples of books that I've read in the last year, and I've kind of alluded to these before as being favorites, but um, specifically that really nail the pacing from start to finish. I, I felt like every time with both of these books I'm about to describe, when I had to put them down for like personal reasons, like work and life, yeah. I was really upset because I always felt like I was leaving in the middle of something. And I think that is a huge um, indicator that the pacing was good. So um, the first one is one of my top picks for last year, which was You with a View by Jessica Joyce. I know I have literally talked this book yeah. to death, but I will continue to because it's that good. Um, this was a road trip romance between um, Noel and Theo. They are kind of going on a, a honeymoon that her late grandmother didn't get to go on with his grandfather. Um, the thing with this was there was a lot of backstory of the grandmother character. And then obviously these two coming together after not seeing each other for a while. But it never felt weighed down. It always felt purposeful. And I felt like every decision they made or every conversation they had really moved the plot forward to their happily ever after. And the other thing with this book that I, I again, will say anytime anyone asks about it, this is a perfect example of a secondary character that added to the story perfectly. Every scene that Grandpa Paul was in had a, had a point, had a purpose, um, in some cases was like, oh my God, he's so cute. I just want to squeeze him. But he, the Paul character, he had a point, he added to the story. And then when he wasn't needed in a scene, he just wasn't there. You know what I mean? It it was, it was just so Wait, good. When you say he wasn't there, does he die? No, 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 oh. no. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, like, oh, Grandpa they, Paul's great. And then when we don't no. need him, he's not there. And I'm like, <laughs> no, oh, no, they didn't kill Grandpa Paul. Oh okay. God, that would be so sad. No, but I, I but they gave him things to do during this road trip that wasn't just like, and Paul's sitting in the back of the car. No, like Paul was doing stuff. But again, it always yeah. had to do with this, with the plot of them going to these locations and her photography and everything just clicked right together. So cannot say enough good things about that book, but pacing especially. So wow. have you read You With You yet, Liz? I can't remember if I've bombarded you. I haven't. You it's on my list. Okay. Well, you can borrow my copy that's behind me right here. <laughs> Oh, actually, you know, I think I would rather read the physical. I've been gravitating more towards physical uh, books. Yes. Lately. I don't know if it's the time of year, but it's cozy to read a paperback when it's cold out. It Although is. I like to read a paperback any day, so. 
I used to revert to that middle school mentality that I put my bookmark in a physical book and I I measure to see like how much further do I have to go in inches you know like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes oh god I love that yes I would like to say well first yes. of all first of all I agree with your sentiment I don't want to yuck anybody's yum so I recently read a second chance enemies to lovers rom-com the enemies part was so hard the couple hated each other they said and thought horrible things about each other. There were lots of jokes about them wanting each other dead. And then there was a turnaround. I don't know, more than like maybe a quarter of the book left. There's this unbelievable turnaround and they get back together. Now, I understand that second chance romances frequently include hostility, antagonism, because there's usually, um, you know, a contentious reason that they broke up. Yeah, yeah. They didn't just break up for no reason. Right. You I mean, if they did break up for no reason, then that's a whole other that's a whole other peeve. Um, we'll save that for a future episode. That'll be yeah, I'm gonna put that one in my back pocket. If you're pairing second chance with enemies to lovers, then you had better write a less hateful enemies scenario or nobody's going to buy that they've fallen back in love and have found happily ever after with each other. This book, I think you might know what I'm talking about. And it was supposed yeah. to be funny, but they just so hated each other. And the enemies was like really pushed hard. And I just did not find it enjoyable because it just changed because it had to, because it was a romance. So we knew they yes. had to end together. And it's like, okay, well, let's just twist turn that switch and now they're okay with each other and that's not the first enemies to lovers i've read where i'm like wow these people really have a lot against each other and i don't think they should be back together so if you're like me and want to read a second chance enemies to lovers in which there is sexual tension and hostile feelings but the couple doesn't hate each other, Ooh. then I recommend Love Flushed by Evie Mitchell. And Evie Mitchell oh. is an author I've mentioned before uh, on Romance Roundup. In Love Flushed, and it's a really cute title, the main character, Annie, has IBS, which is Irritable Bowel Syndrome. Yes. And, uh, and Annie owns an eco-friendly toilet paper subscription service. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a plumber romance. No, but you know what? That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. Like there could have been a spinoff series of all toilet related romance <laughs> with this. Um, so unfortunately, Annie needs to find a new paper supplier. And the only person who will do business with her fledgling company is Annie's infuriating ex-boyfriend from high school, Link or Lincoln. So uh, cool. the book is super steamy and there's definitely some bad feelings more that she feels towards him, but you don't feel like, oh, love is completely lost with these two. There's mm -hmm. still a certain amount of respect. They think kindly things about each other, even if they don't share it with the other, especially that they're both super hot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It always helps when they're both still hot. <laughs> it, it, right. I mean, if he had really, you know, he was not looking fresh. He really um, let himself go. <laughs> right. If he was, yeah, yeah. She'd be like, yeah, forget it. That's my recommendation. If uh, you, like me, enjoy a second chance with hostility, but not hate, not outright hate. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, and that's what's funny. Going back to my example of workplace romance and enemies lovers, the hating game. 
I always just felt like it was a misunderstanding. Like it was more rivals to lovers than enemies to lovers. But um, I always hear more people say enemy and I'm like, no. But yeah, if there's too much bad blood and all they do, uh, yeah, it needs to be reasonable and they need to actually work it out or talk it through and not just be like, yeah. don't worry about it. I'm a different person and I'm still hot. And it's like, oh, okay. Right, <laughs> right. And I agree that the hating game, um, I think, and I haven't read it in a while, but absolutely loved it. It's always in my top five romances. And a lot of it was more snark than mm -hmm. actual hate. And yes. th that, to be honest, I think enemies to lovers needs to be reevaluated and maybe broken down to degrees. Because mm -hmm. first of all, I don't truly enjoy enemies to lovers. Like, I like the idea of there being some hostility and some snark and maybe some weird feelings about the other person. So you're very standoffish. But enemies is kind of a harsh way to describe that trope. Um, and it used to be where you said enemies to lovers and it wasn't totally hate. Now yes. writers have escalated it to hate, where it's true enemies. But there are rivals to lovers. I like hostility, hostile, <laughs> hostile friends to lovers, you know. But enemies has become true enemies now. And I don't think it properly identifies or covers the whole scope of that trope. I agree. And I'm curious, has there ever been like a frenemies to lovers? Because that would be entertaining. If they have this weird dynamic where they didn't date before, yeah. they're kind of friends, they're kind of in competition. I feel like that would be kind of fun. A twist uh, maybe on friends to lovers if they kind of have a bit of an animosity. You know, I, I, nothing comes to mind. It I might can't exist. think of anything either. But. Yeah, I could see that working out. Um, perhaps with, um, immediately I was thinking of a gay couple, like two former cheerleader friends who were like, they were fr frenemy cheerleaders. And then, yep. you know, uh, they grew up and reconnected and, you know, uh, or even, you know, you're, you have a friend that's a frenemy as an adult. And shift, and then, yes. And yeah. And then there's a shift. So I could see that happening with women. Cause I think frenemies usually refers more to like women, to uh, women. Yeah. You know, you could write that. All right, I'll, I'm adding it to the list. <laughs> you add that to the list. <laughs> so uh, what peeves you off? This one, I was trying to think of the best way to describe this. And so I'm going to go with the stakes have never been lower. <laughs> okay, for me, when you start a book and they set up the conflict and it's like, if this one thing doesn't work out, either character A or B's life is over. And so you, as the reader, you go through this journey and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And there's never that aha moment. And if anything, it's kind of like that sad trombone sound. like. Wah, wah, wah. But to me, you know, when you get to the end and this insurmountable thing that they kept saying was the reason they couldn't be together, like all of a sudden someone walks in the room and they're like, oh, yeah, we fixed that issue. Don't worry about it. It's like, are you kidding me? I just invested 330 pages into this. So yeah. and, and that's why I consider it the stakes have never been lower is, you know, and. And I, I'm mostly thinking of, although I have read a couple of historicals like this, where, you know, they say this one thing has to happen for them to get married or for this to right. happen. And then all of a sudden someone just shuffles into the room and they're like, oh, actually, we were wrong the whole time and we were just lying to you or, you know, it was a simple miscommunication or something. And then you're like, oh, well, that's it. OK, I'm glad they're together, but it, I'm not that's not the payoff I was promised with this, you right. know insurmountable obstacle that they have to go over. So I was trying to think, and of course, the first thing I thought of was heated rivalry. And I said, no, I am not going to talk to Liz about that book again, but I am <laughs> going to talk about the series for two seconds. So okay. I feel like the first book in this series, and it is the Game Changer series, and this is Game Changer by Rachel Reed, 
So this follows Scott and Kip. It's an MM hockey romance. And um, Scott has, uh, he's a, he's an all-star in the NHL. He has not come out. He is petrified of what will happen to his career. And this is one, and I'm not going to give away the ending of, uh, it's a happy ending, obviously, but I'm not going to give away how they get to that. But I felt like this was a true risk. And it felt like the payoff was like, yes. Like, I remember thinking this is fabulous. And it was one where I was truly on pins and needles the whole time. And I, I was not disappointed with the ending. I was not disappointed with the payoff. And it just felt, it felt like there was just enough tension. And I don't mean just the sexual tension because that was also delicious, but it was just the right amount of tension that I truly felt like Scott's career was in jeopardy throughout the book until he made the decision he did to have things happen the way they did. Again, I don't want to spoil but it was it was just such a good payoff and it was not clunky and it was not rushed. And so I just have to say that. And then I'll never talk about this series for at least another two weeks. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love talking about it. I love heated rivalry too. And I've yet to make my way through the rest of the series. You know, I think that's another attractive quality about sports romance is I feel as if the stakes are high because right there it's it's a competition these people yes. their livelihood is to compete and to win so right there the stakes are pretty high so that's one of my examples another one i have for how it's done well is um ava wilder's how to fake it in hollywood this came out in 2022 really great book this was her debut love love loved it and this is one i really cannot say a lot because there's a lot that i don't want to ruin for anyone who hasn't read this yet but It's a fake dating trope, as the title suggests, and it follows two actors at different stages of their careers trying to have a comeback. And their PR teams come up with this plan that will hopefully get both of their careers afloat. And this is one, and again, I'm not, I don't want to say too much. Oh my God, it's so hard not to say too much, but someone, and I won't say who, someone does something and upends things. And it truly looks like they have jacked up this whole situation. And this is one where up until the last page, I was nervous that it hadn't been wrapped up in a little bow. So it is, the writing is phenomenal. Again, I can't, I don't want to say anything because if you give away, if I give away the twist, people will like come out. It's not even a twist, but if I give away this plot point, people will come after me. So I'm just going to say that this book nails having high stakes with a realistic payoff. This, these are flawed people doing real human things and it is poignant. It is amazing. So that's all I'll say about it, but how to Fake It in Hollywood by Ava Wilder is one of those books where, again, well, actually, the pacing was good, too. So this could have been on my pacing one, too. Well, but it like was that? just, I really, I just loved how she wrote these two characters coming in um, to the story at different parts in their careers. And, oh, it was just so good. I can't say anything else because I know I'm going to let something slip. Wow. And but, this is the first time I've heard you mention this book. So I'm in. I know. And I'm embarrassed that I haven't before because I read it right when it came out in 2022. And I have her newest one that came out last year. And I haven't read okay. that yet. But it's on it's on my short list. So, nice. um, yeah, I really enjoy her writing. She's phenomenal. Nice. Nice. You know, at some point we're going to have mentioned every book we've enjoyed on this show at some point we're going to run out of titles i know and then we'll just have to like go in a cave somewhere and read for five years to catch up (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's the visual (laughs) okay so that is one of my other gripes so liz i feel like it's that scene in family guy what really grinds your gears you know what really grinds my gears (laughs) well this is a general peeve of mine I've read a number of romance novels in which the heroine is a self-proclaimed hot mess, klutz, who has the worst luck on the planet because she's caught her boyfriend cheating on her and was fired from work 
all on the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, this heroine is usually immature and makes bad decisions and speaks about herself with self-deprecating humor. You just can't get anything right and you're hopeless. That's another thing. Oh, I'm so hopeless. And for me, that is bordering, if not achieving, pathetic status instead of sympathetic character status. So if you're like me and enjoy reading the romance journey of mature, competent heroines with fierce resilience, then read Serving Sin by Angelina M. Lopez, book three in her Filthy Rich series. Oh, hello. (laughs) Yes. You know what? When I was thinking about the antithesis of the hapless, um, let's see, hot mess heroine, I immediately thought of this book, Serving Sin, which I was like, well, then I've got to I've got to recommend this book because I have not talked about it up to this point. Serving Sin is a steamy romantic suspense about Cenobia, a Mexican heiress and CEO of her family business, who is still haunted by having been kidnapped as a young woman. Harassed. Yeah. Her rescuer was an army ranger who is now the head of a security firm. And Sonobia hires him to protect her and her team from a new threat. But of course, Libby, they both save each other. Oh, I, if they don't, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> yeah. With their love. Sonobia, she uh, had her life together had been doing the emotional work over the years of going to therapy to, um, to be able to live with this trauma and and to help heal. She was really a phenomenal uh, character. I would also say that any books by Lauren Smith, who also writes as Emma Mm. Castle, also features women who are not um, self-deprecating and saying how hopeless they are and, oh, I'm a hot mess, ha, ha, ha. Is it this funny? That type of heroine is usually in a rom-com, but I have been seeing it outside of rom-coms, so it concerns me. Um, (laughs) So, so, yeah, I mean, do you notice that that's a thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, and it's usually their only identifying character. Well, no, I shouldn't say usually. I find when it's not done well, it is their only identifying characteristic yes. is they, you know, walk into walls or they spill drinks every time they leave the house. Sometimes I feel like it is almost so much that I feel like they need help. Like, you know, they yeah. sit around and it's like the scenes where they're with their friends, like, when will I get it together? It's like, you need a therapist. Like- <laughs> well, right. Then you start thinking, like, should we, you know, put this, make this person a ward of the state? Like, yeah. uh, be- <laughs> Does this person need like someone to live with them, like live in assistance? Because it seems like they're not capable of making good decisions that ensure their safety and well-being. Uh- <laughs> well, and you want it to be something where what they're doing is like quirky enough to make it interesting, but yeah. not so much that you're thinking, oh, my gosh, the hero or heroine likes this person. Like, yes, you want them to yeah. like the other person despite their flaws, but not because they are you know, failing at their career or because they have no self-esteem. Like it's, you have to, it has to be written in a way that, you know, it's, it's, it's a silly little foible that they overcome. It's not, you know, oh, wow, here comes, you know, I don't, can't think of a fake name, Janie, and she's going to knock over a priceless piece of art on her way into the office. So we better get right. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Those types of characters in and off the page attract some serious sociopaths usually (laughs) you know like in real life like you don't want to be you know you're just Mm -hmm. bait for these predators 
I so, think I've seen that episode of Dateline. <laughs> yes, I think we all have. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's a that's a pet peeve of mine. By the end of this episode, you will question why I read romance at all. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I know we're gonna have all sorts of comments. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Speaking of therapy, do you two need a hug? <laughs> Comment below. Tell us what uh, what your romance reading peeves are. Yes. Or what some of your favorites are that when they get it right. Yeah. What are your peeve busters? Yeah. <laughs> and I have a very random pet peeve that I have not thought about much. And then, um, as I've mentioned before, I belong to another book club. And last week, they mentioned something that got me hot under the collar, Liz. And Ooh. I'm like, I think Liz hates this too. So I'm going to go crazy. Go ahead. What so, is it? And I think it's only really started in the last year or two, but having, and again, as a writer, I can understand the appeal because you can sell more copies of your books. But as a reader, I don't like this new trend of having different bonus epilogues or content available at different retailers. There, I said it. Um, You know, you might have one epilogue through one person's point of view at Walmart, the other at Target, the other on Amazon. You know, some, and in these cases, I actually don't mind as much if it's only at indie bookstores, because that's obviously supporting a local business and that I'm okay with. But I just feel like there is something that seems fundamentally wrong if, and it seems to be mostly with series, but you get, you know, as a reader, you get obsessed and and engaged and enthralled by these characters. And then you want to know more, but then they dangle like a, you know, a $20 book in front of you for three pages of content. So I'm either going to get arrested for reading for free in the Target (laughs) As a librarian, I don't like it because it shuts out libraries because libraries can't may not necessarily be able to get the special editions from certain vendors. So good point or certain retailers. So I feel like, and again, this is so dumb. And I I get on a business side why they do it because I'm sure they're selling a lot of books. Yeah. And as a writer, I appreciate that for them. But as a reader, it's like, ah, you know, I want to know what happened to certain characters after the fact. And you yeah. know, I feel like you almost have to like get this like program going with your friends. Like if you go to Walmart, I'll go to Target. And then if you go to Amazon, <laughs> I'll go here. Right. So I have an issue with epilogues, period. Oh. I do agree that they have become marketing tools. I don't mind it in newsletters because that is free content. Like if I'm a fan of an author and they say, if you subscribe to my news, and again, but I'm an author, so I'm looking at it that way. Yeah, but I'm right. not having to pay or go to a special place to get the content. Like if I, if you're telling me Agreed. as a follower, I can get a bonus epilogue. Yeah, I'll sign up for your newsletter. Right. If it's for free and accessible to all, then that's fine. But here's my thing. Um, if it's an important part of the story, if it's important enough for you to have written it, then just put it in the book yep. and let me read it all together. And you don't have to make it... I have so many issues with epilogues. First of all, epilogues that happen more than a year later mm-hmm. piss me off. Oh, seven to 10 years later, this is all that's happening because I don't want to write a second book or because I just want to, <laughs> or because I want to like cram your head with, with more story when it's not necessary. You had a happily ever after. We could just let it lie. Like just, yeah. you know, we don't need to then know that they had kids and then this happened. Just, just let it go. Let us use our imagination. Don't you mm-hmm. don't have to spoon feed everything. Now, if it's a year later, I'm like, okay, because sometimes there are little things that are mentioned in the story that maybe aren't that important to tie up. So they do it in the epilogue. And, they and it's just mention. like a little cherry on the Sunday. When I see the words epilogue, I do kind of get annoyed. <laughs> fair enough. That's fair. I'm in a weird headspace today. No, no. I think I, I, I think I, I understand what you mean because usually... It is just the one year later. 
I think my only pet peeve with epilogues is when, and this has not been the case. I'm going to jinx it now. And now the next 10 books I'm going to read are going to yeah. be like this. I feel like five or 10 years ago, every single epilogue was a baby drop. Yes. Like yes. you would finish the book. Everything Correct. was great. They had never, maybe they've mentioned having children, but you read yeah. the epilogue and all it is, is them in, you know, the stereotypical house with the white picket fence and they're pregnant or they right. have sick kids. If that was part of the story, like um, the Snowden with the Viking, like that epilogue had their babies in the future, spoiler yes. alert. Yeah. But that was part of the story because they yeah. both wanted kids. So that I didn't right. like scoff at, but yeah. I felt like five and 10 years ago, most um, romances, it was the baby drop. Like, oh, I forgot to mention, and they have a baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, you cool you, if that's what they want. <laughs> right. And you know, interesting that you mentioned epilogue and historical romance. Do you know I can handle epilogues and historical romance way more than contemporary? Like, I really? actually, when I see that there's an epilogue in historical romance, I always say to myself, oh, okay. Interesting. I'm interested in knowing what information they impart. But when it comes to contemporary, I immediately get mad. I'm so glad you mentioned that because it just clicked in my head that I could deal with it more with historical romance. So I don't know why it doesn't bother me. I don't know. I am an enigma <laughs> wrapped in a mystery. Well, that's why you're entertaining, Liz. <laughs> Trust me, I could go on forever. But those are my big pet peeves. Do you have any other pet peeves, Liz? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> are we going to have a lightning round? of? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Unsupportive friend groups. We've talked about that mm -hmm. before. The uh, friends, uh, the friend group that it's usually anywhere between two and three people who are usually interchangeable. And all they do is focus on, hey, main character, you're really bad at this and you never leave, never leave your house. And you're so you're so hopeless and you've got to change. Da, 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 da. But there are some books that come to mind that have really fantastic friend groups, supportive, each with their own distinctive personality. Tessa Bailey's Fix Her Up. That whole yes. series, of oh, I love. Yeah, that whole series, uh, great with the friends. Uh, Amy Spaulding's for her consideration, which came mm -hmm. out in 2023. Really strong, um, you know, brunch uh, group of friends, which kind of reminded me a little bit of Sex in the City. That type of, yes. that oh, type I of love friendship. that vibe. Yeah, I love and, that vibe. And Buckeye Falls series, you've got oh. a fantastic group <laughs> of friends, and you see this like friendship arcs in your yes. series and where, that's yeah i feel like that's for me as a writer that's important because I, and you know because you have friends your yeah. friend relationships shift and sometimes yeah. they get really stronger and other times people drift apart yeah so um i'm not saying anyone drifts apart in <laughs> friendship all day every day in buckeye yes. falls and it's just like more people become friends i would say that those uh series those books uh great for supportive friend groups i'm sure there's been others i've read but those are the ones that are top of mind it, it's almost like with the klutzy heroine it, it almost feels like it's just like a an easy thing to write in like oh yeah. yeah their friends aren't very nice and it's like but then why are they <laughs> your friends and i think last year yeah. we read a book in book club the sister character was unsupportive and i actually struggled with that because i pride myself on being supportive of my sister. Hopefully she's right. listening and would agree. But I, it was very hard to read something where the sister was just completely tone deaf and would not listen to what her sister was feeling. Because I felt yeah. like there were scenes where she was really opening herself up and the sister was like, eh, you're fine. You're going to do what I think you should do. <laughs> right. The, like, but... yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Unsupportive friends and dismissive siblings. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Continuing the lightning round. Mustache twirling villains. <laughs> 
I feel that instead of a third act breakup between the romance protagonists, some authors dig their heels into having this threatening, this outside threatening force that is um, going to destroy this couple couple's happiness. Stroke in the muscle. <laughs> and that drives me crazy when it's like an over, that's also over the top. Like those people yes. are just over the top villains and you're like, whoa, okay, they're really going crazy, you know, right now. That's another thing that uh, bothers me. Also, Harlequin book titles. Very specific. I'm a, I am getting specific and if I take the heat, I take the heat. But I have to say that they are lengthy and very literal, which I have to admit sometimes exactly what I need because I know what I'm getting in for. But True. sometimes the title does not deliver. And let me tell you about oh. a book I reviewed, The Firefighter's Thanksgiving Wish. Spoiler alert, the story has nothing to do with Thanksgiving. Most of the story takes place after Thanksgiving, leading up what? to Christmas and beyond. Interesting. Yes. Now, it was a decent book. I believe I gave it a B plus at the time. But man, did that stick in my craw. I'm wondering, going with that marketing conversation, if this is something where Christmas, obviously, there's a bazillion, and I'm not complaining, Christmas yeah, books. Right. But there really aren't a lot of Thanksgiving books. No. That's a holiday that... No offense to Thanksgiving, I guess there's no one's feeling the love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have to say that I've spoken to a number of Harlequin romance authors and I, I have an idea of how the naming of the titles goes and it's very marketing driven. Mm. Like you said, maybe they were looking to get, you know, a Thanksgiving title in there, you know, but I was annoyed because I was truly looking for a Thanksgiving related romance yeah. and it didn't happen it was a, 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 a an enjoyable read nonetheless but it really annoyed me and i have to mention a 2023 title that i recently had pass before my eyes on the computer <laughs> i don't even know it was an ad or something and the title i kid you not okay. it's a first of all let me explain the book cover is a man holding a baby just a okay. man holding a baby. And the title of it is A Charming Doorstep Baby. A Charming Doorstep Baby. Now, I am almost positive that the author probably didn't intend that to be the title. I because, would because it's not very romantic. And I'm a little, I have a lot to say about that because it almost sounds disrespectful. It's like, oh, it's a big, it's a doorstep baby. Yeah, baby. Well, and I don't, I mean, do people still do that? I mean, I don't think they do. But how about the foundling child? Yeah, it sounds a little Victorian, a little Regency. A little Actually, British. I would totally, uh, if you made that, a, like, or like Edwardian or something. Yeah, like, you know, a foundling, a char, and here's the thing, a charming one. As if to say, you know, if a baby's on a doorstep, they might not be charming. <laughs> but this one is. This one's that, charming. That jackass baby. Yeah. I would love that. Oh, this, imagine this jackass doorstep baby. It's almost like this. Okay, most doorstep babies not charming, but this, this is a charming one that should not have been left on a doorstep. The other doorstep babies, yeah, they deserved it. <laughs> well, and I'm curious, like, I, I, the thing is, I am intrigued because I want to know whose doorstep. I want to know who the man holding the baby is. Like, are they going to get to keep the baby? Like, where's the romance in this? This sounds more like, again, a Dateline special. Right. Then, so here's the thing. You know. Does he discover then the next day a doorstep mama? Yeah. <laughs> That's the sequel. <laughs> That's the sequel. A doorstep mama. I picture like someone saucy like smoking. 
Oh, God. I'll be honest. I think I'm going to keep my other peeves for another episode. Okay. Because, I mean, wh- what do you think? Do you think that you would want to do this again? Because I'll say. Oh, heck some. yeah. Okay. You know me. I love to rant and rave. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'll say some. Because honestly, after the doorstep, baby, I feel like. I'm we got to end go on backwards. a high note. <laughs> yeah. I, I, need to, I think we need to end it. Any other uh Eve's worth mentioning at this time. Uh, no, I think uh, I feel better now that I've cleansed my soul of my concerns and uh, shared my picks. And I, I don't know. And I also I'm I'm intrigued. I feel like someone needs to write a plumber romance. I just read something on either Instagram or Facebook or something, but saying that there needs to be more blue collar heroes. Yes, and I agree. And I think someone should write a plumber romance. If it's not me, it should be someone else. Yeah, wholeheartedly. <laughs> I agree. Um now that I've entered into home ownership, I, I, I'm constantly thinking of of the services I need, and I could definitely, who couldn't use a plumber or an electrician, yeah, electrician, you know, or you know, some drywall dude guy does like, or like an HVAC guy. HVAC. Ooh, that, well, although in my thinking, <laughs> like an HVAC guy comes in when the air's out, but that almost sounds like it could be the beginning of a dirty movie. <laughs> It does. Actually, maybe that's why people have stayed away from because it's almost like, oh, yeah, the plumber came to, you know, (laughs) unclog my pipes. And, you know, then before, you know, it's like, you know, and again, Um, nothing wrong with that. But (laughs) right. Because the person answers the door and they're scantily clad. It's like, oh, HVAC, man, it's so hot in here. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to take care of that. The hottest part of that story would be if they didn't, if he didn't rip her off with the bill afterwards. And here's the invoice. It'll be a million dollars. Your uh, your home warranty will not cover this service. <laughs> that, that would be how my romance ended. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's our roundup. Watch Romance Roundup on Reader Seeks Romance Channel and subscribe on YouTube. Listen to Romance Roundup on Podbean and all podcast apps. Thanks for joining us, romance readers. Happy reading, everyone. (laughs) 